Hello, Dory. Hi. We are recording our third episode, and today's topic is super important and interesting, <laughs> and it's mentoring. Um, but first, before we start diving into this, let's speak about what happened at the last, <laughs> at okay. the end of our of our second episode, where I was a little bit less content, I would say, <laughs> because I really wanted to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is power, and your vision of power and when and how to use it is a little bit different. So how about you take it? <laughs> okay. So first of all, thank you, Shani and Daphniel. We finished the last episode the episode was about leadership management and power and it recorded like for an hour and a half and when we finished I asked Shani so what is the next episode and you said okay let's do it on leadership management and power <laughs> <laughs> sounds like <it>. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought we just did it And he said, uh, in other words, uh, when do you going with off with the head? <laughs> when do you <laughs> use power? And I told you, uh, yeah, we use in many places, but mainly in Jim Collins wise, uh, getting the right people on the bus, getting the wrong people off the bus and mentoring. And uh, actually, I listened to the last episode I, I went to. For a short weekend with my son Ron to Dahab, he was doing wing foiling, and uh, on the way in the car in Darava, I reserved the, the episode and I said, I told him, okay, when we'll be like an hour and a half from Elat, let's start listening for that. And uh, it was it was an amazing, and uh, thank you both. And uh, I was surprised again. <laughs> And uh, at the end of the episode, then I was content. I think it was again uh, was more than I expected. And I asked Ron how was the the episode? And he say it was okay. And I asked him uh, in Hebrew, Abba Hofer, he said a little bit. That is <laughs> drilling. That's the translation. But yeah. <laughs> that's a euphemism for speaking too much. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny and but it, it it got me back to the point and we are trying to do it a lot me and Omri in develop now that we speak too much we speak too much and uh, I told him we are enlightened dictatorship we are very nice but we are still dictators when you say we you mean me and develop and both I think the, the second you generation is already getting the bad habits and so and, and it got me thinking about okay let's do the next episode about mentoring and I told you okay uh, let's talk about it and and I went to study as much as I can uh, I came very across a very nice book it's called the uh, the coaching habit and uh, George Bernard Shaw is quoted over there and with a very nice quote, uh, I think a brilliant one, that the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And taking it back to management is when management speaking, yeah. we need to make sure the communication actually exists. Yeah. And, and there is another thing that I think is very nice and it's so, so relevant for me and I think for management as a whole, it's called the marathon effect. Which means? Which means that leadership or management has already crossed the finish line, but your team 
is somewhere behind in the 42 kilometers. You are over there, you are done already, but your team is behind. They are still running. They're, they don't understand where to run, maybe. And I think that both of these things are, are alignment that need to be done. With leadership and management and my favorite word, power. <laughs> so... <laughs> I started thinking what is the origin of mentoring and uh, came across a very nice story. It's actually from uh, the Greek mythology about, uh, it's called Homer Odyssey. The, the story about is when Odysseus went to the war with Troia and he's actually asked his friend to literally stewardship his son and wife when he's uh, away. And this is like, it's like going through all our three episodes because we started with stewardship in the first episode. We spoke about uh, the three types of stewardship in the second episode. And over here we are coming to the third uh, stewardship and how this is related to mentoring. The friend name was mentor. Okay, so mentoring is in our DNA. Second, before we dive into mentoring, I want to speak about our uh, incentive or uh, motivation to do mentoring. I think there is a, a misconcept in management as a whole and in human resources management in particular about loneliness. So we're going from management and power and leadership to mentoring, which is... Taking care of your son or taking care of someone who you care for. And I remind you, stewardship is now generally recognized as the acceptance or assignment of responsibility to shepherd and safeguard the valuables of others. We spoke about loneliness, yeah? There is a misconcept about loneliness. And I said it's part of management and part of uh, human resources management. Uh, you think that you put a person in a team. You have a happy hour, you have a meeting uh, out of work once a quarter, they have a, a guild, and they are not lonely. And, and this is a misconcept. This is an unknown quote, I don't know who coined that. Uh, lonely is not being alone, it's the feeling that no one cares. And you can be in a group with many people, and you can feel alone, you can feel that nobody cares. And... I said on the first episode that to be a CEO is a lonely role because the ultimate responsibility is yours. Omri is my partner, but I am the CEO. The ultimate responsibility is on my shoulders. When I fail, and I fail a lot, there is no excuses. I'm, I'm feeling alone over there. I put a pin on this because that's a question I prepared for later. But since you brought this up, who mentors the mentors? So we'll talk okay. about it later. The things we are doing in develop, trying to measure the belonging or the engagement of employees, we are using a, the Q12 questionnaire by Gallup. It's like a 12. We're doing it every six months. It's an an anonymous questionnaire. There are like 12 questions over there that are separated uh, for uh, uh, different four parts, but I will read the 12 questions and pay attention for the uh, granularity, the frequency that you want the employee to answer about a specific question over there. 
do you know what is expected of you at work? Okay, this is the first question. Do you have uh, the materials and equipment to do your work right? At work, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? In the last seven days, in the last seven days, have you received recognition or praise for doing good work? Does your supervisor or someone at work seem to care about you as a person? This is the loneliness question, okay? Is there someone at work who encourages your development? At work, do your opinion seems to count? Does the mission, purpose of your company make you feel your job is important? Are your associates, fellow employees, committed to doing quality work? Do you have a best friend at work? In the last six months, has someone at work talked to you about your progress? And the last question, in the last year, have you had the opportunity to learn and grow? So this is the technique. A technique to do what? A technique to have a mirror if your employees are engaged, if they are feeling alone, if they feel that nobody cares. You did a very, very interesting and unexpected connection between power, leadership, mentorship, which seems rather, it makes sense, and loneliness. And then you connected it to loneliness in the work area or work yeah. life yeah. field. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not something that is intuitive for a lot of people because a lot of people are connecting mentorship, especially during work, to results. Right? I will mentor my employees to make them more effective, to make them more happy so they can be more effective. But you're taking us into mentorship in a whole different point of view of looking at the person and what they are concerned about and taking care of their well-being under the umbrella of work. Yeah. And that's very interesting. And I, I think that it also connects to the history of where mentorship came from and this interpersonal connection between people. Am I correct? Yeah. I will, I will say another thing. It's, it's connected to one of our basic fears. We have like five basic fears. It's extinction, uh, mutilation to lose a part of our body, uh, loss of autonomy, separation, like to be alone, okay? And to lose, it was like a, the biggest punishment in the old days that uh, someone was exiled from the community and uh, ego death. These are like the five. And we as manager, we want to generate a safe environment. And us as people, we are like our autonomy. We are checking five times a second if this is a safe place. Five times a second. And if you are feeling lonely, it's a problem. You are not in a safe place. And when I started looking like, When did mentoring started? It started as, as a medium. There is no written language, but you need to survive. It was a jungle outside, literally, and it was very dangerous. Uh, Yuval Noah Harari said that the gatherer hunters, uh, he's actually, he's, the coin is hunters gatherer, and he, he uses uh, gatherer hunters that he said that they hunted much less than we think. 
and ate meat much less than we think. Credit to my wife, Smadal. And he said the knowledge, a gatherer, a 13 years old male or woman, is, was equivalent for a PhD. The knowledge of plants, danger, weather, seasons, where to go, how to safeguard, okay? There is the quote that you need a village to raise a child. Yes. And this is mentoring. Okay, many, many, many different mentors. Okay. Oral medium that teaches you knowledge that you need to know. Yeah, and we mentioned, I think, in the first episode, uh, Stanley McChrystal, he wrote the book Team of Teams. He was a general in the U.S. Army. He spoke about uh, Nelson. Uh, he was an admiral in the in the British Navy, and he prepared his team, his captains, for autonomy because there was no communication. There was no way to do micromanagement. Imagine a world without micromanagement. <laughs> Ooh, <Yeah. laughs> I like that. <laughs> it, it wasn't possible. It was a necessity, both in era of the hunters-gatherers uh, and both in the British Navy, it was a necessity. You had to have people that will survive. They had to have mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And this is like New Age Management, Daniel Pink, uh, his excellent book, Drive. He's speaking about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And we will get to that uh, maybe later in the episode about these are like flow triggers. Flow is that it's like the state we are in the zone. We are doing things like effortless effort. We, everything is it's a timeless. And these are like the triggers that getting us. These are in, in our ancestors. Uh, they, they did it. Then came technology. Here's a question. In today's world, mentorship is a lot about finding your goal and figuring out the things that trouble you and you will have a lot of perfect examples to share. But what you're talking about right now is also sharing knowledge, common knowledge. And I think something changed based on, on what you tell us. Something changed from the more historic view of mentorship as knowledge sharing, as teaching from experience into uh, someone who can lead you, a guide that will lead you to your path to be happy, to find happiness, to find the job that you want. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a different perception of what is mentorship. How do you see mentorship in the world of work? I, I want to divide it to two. There is the, the content part of mentorship and there is the process part of mentorship. Let's take, for example, if I will take it out of context and I will tell you about an organization that is empowering its local leaders, it's preparing for adaptability to changing situation, it's trust and delegation, risk management, decentralization, okay? is preparing his team for that, okay? And it's, uh, this is, this is more, than, more than management stuff. It's, it's great. But this is the answer for ask ChatGPT how things were managed before 
the rise of uh, modern communication. I hope I'm getting to the answer you wanted. There is two parts. There is the content part, what is going on during the mentoring, and part of it came with modern technology, written language and YouTube today and online communication and the medium change. And there is the process part. Something in the process of mentoring is crucial. We are human beings. There is something in the interaction that we lost over the years. Technology. Technology, yeah. So technology came. And as technology is doing in many places, bringing a lot of good things. You can do much more with less. There was a democratization of knowledge. People got access for knowledge and they could read everything and know a lot of things. And I think that something on the way lost. And there is an excellent uh, dialogue from the Goodwill Hunting between uh, Robin Williams and uh, Matt, Damon. Matt Damon when he was young. And uh, the story is uh, Matt Damon is a brilliant uh, orphan kid, in, I think in Boston, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, Robin e. Williams is a therapist uh, that was responsible for uh, helping uh, Matt Damon uh, because he had uh, he has gaps in his personality he was an orphan and he was uh, doing a lot of crimes but he was a brilliant mathematician but you're a genius well no one denies that no one could possibly understand the depths of you but you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine you ripped my fucking life apart you're an orphan right Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are? Because I read all of the twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that, because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. You move, Chief. The bottom line over there, uh, Robin Williams telling me, I guess you read a lot of things and you know a lot of things and maybe much more than me, but you don't know how things are feeling. And I think this is the point in communication. I told him, you know, I read the Oliver Twist and I don't even ready to think that I know how it feels to be an orphan. Right. It's not enough to read. So in order to be a good mentor, you need to understand how it feels. You need to understand the process part of the mentoring. It's not a knowledge transfer. You can't read instead of mentoring. Right. Do you need to understand how it feels to be in the position of your mentee? 
or is it enough to know the process of mentoring? As usual, <laughs> it ain't about you. Perfect. Okay? It ain't about you. It's always about the mentee. The content of the mentoring, I said about the process and the content, the content is about, in general, about being effective. Peter Drucker said that the effective manager is doing the right thing well. So the content is to try to focus the mentee. And there are like four places that you want to focus. The content should be about focus. It's incremental gains. It's about being aware of your blind spots and try to improve the sweet spots. It's about attention management or distraction management. And in general, to get more of the time of the mentee into flow. Remember the Daniel Pink in the beginning I uh, said about uh, autonomy, mastery, purpose. These are like three out of 22 flow triggers. And, and I, I will mention them in, in a second. Let's start with an incremental gain. There, there is a, an amazing uh, story about the British cycling team. Uh, they came a coach. There were like, in a hundred years, till I think 2000, they won once the Tour de France and came this coach and he emphasized the uh, importance of improving everything, everything in 1% all the time. And it went to places like he brought surgeons to teach the team members how to wash hands, like they taught us in COVID, because they got sick less and could improve. And, and in the last, uh, next, I think, 20 years, they won like 12 British uh, cyclists, won, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 12 times the Tour de France. On the London uh, Olympics, they took 90% of the medals. It was, it was an amazing uh, uh, success. So as a mentor, you don't need to put too much on your mentee. You need to focus, try to focus every week on one thing. We'll speak later what is this one thing. But every week on one thing. Don't try to do more than that. Let's try to focus every week to improve one thing. It's really an important, not even advice, but a point of view where I think a lot of people who are mentoring have that sense of, I want to give, I have so much to give, I, I want this and that. And if you're more senior with experience or with hierarchy, so you see more, you know more, and you really want to share all this knowledge and experience, but it's, it's not, as you said, always correct. It's not about you. It's about what your mentee needs right now this week. Yeah. And, and what and is the one thing that will make them feel better? Yeah. And the last resort that the answer will come from you. What do you uh, mean by that? You want to, to inspire. I said uh, in the previous episode uh, that in Hebrew, it's it, the, the inspiration is inside the mentee already. You need to generate the gardening, the environment, the safe environment. If you will help him and try to do a shortcut, you will leave him on the floor. 
I never thought about the differences between Hebrew and English in inspiration. Because in Hebrew, if we translate it, it's like bringing an inspiration. That's the verb. And in English, it's just inspire. So we're talking about the process of bringing that inspiration. Yeah. It, it's to awaken. To awaken the inspiration. It's already over there. You need to awake it. It's dormant. Okay, we spoke about it uh, in the previous about the, the death valley. It's, it's a dormant valley. Once water came over there, it was a super bloom. You have a one-on-one -on -one with the person. It's their safe place. If they will feel that you are impatient and it's about you and you're giving the answer and he's coming over there week after week after week that you will tell him what to do, they will not feel that they owned the success. So this is your success. It's kind of like parenting. Yeah. Yeah, it's parenting is like mentoring. <laughs> Power and leadership. Uh, yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. going to the second uh, part. Okay. So, we, so uh, I was, I was, we spoke about... We need to be aware of our sweet spots, uh, aware of our blind spots. The third thing is the attention management. We are in a war. Uh, against? Against notifications. Ooh, yes. In interruptions. And we're losing. Uh, we are losing. Okay, we are losing. It's crazy. Uh, Seneca has a coined uh, quote, nothing is ours except time. <laughs> and he, he I, said I, I that a long time ago before and notification. Think, and I don't think anybody today thinks they own time. Nobody. And 66 years ago when Peter Drucker wrote the effective executive, it was the same. He recommended each manager or executive to stay one day a week to progress in his work and not go to the office. He said we are doing fragmented uh, sessions of work you need to be big chunks with no interruptions so you as a mentor you need to safeguard stewardship safeguard the big chunks of time of uh, your mentee amen to that <laughs> okay and the last thing is getting more into flow flow is like this effortless effort zone for coders, uh, they're solving problems. They didn't feel the time is passes and boom, two or three hours can pass and they did like a walk of a week. There are group triggers and there are individual triggers. As I said earlier, autonomy, mastery, and uh, purpose are part of those flow triggers. And as I said, this is like the gatherer hunters. This is what's part of their flow. We are uh, chemical creatures, and when we are in flow, dopamine is rushing in our blood. When we are going out for hunting, there is risk, there is complexity, there is novelty, okay? There is immediate feedback, there is clear goal, there is a challenge skill ratio, you're not going to kill a mamuta or a tiger if you're not capable for that. You need the creativity, and you have pattern recognition, and you have purpose, you need to bring food. If you're not bringing, they will starve. And there is unpredictability. And there is deep embodiment. These are all flow triggers. When a hunter went out, dopamine was rushing over there. 
And you, as a mentor, need to rush the dopamine in your mentee. You need to have a challenge skill ratio for them that will be 4% more than our, their skill. This is like a, a challenge. They, they are into it. They have to have clear goals. They should be uh, unpredictable in complexity and risk and novelty and autonomy and a purpose. You need to put all these things into the mentorship. So what you're saying is that mentorship is not just about meeting a person and speaking with them and listening and giving a very smart advice, but it's a very hard work behind the curtains before the meeting. Yeah. It's not just about the listening part. Yeah, it's, it's also it's, about it's, preparing. It's a hard work between the meetings, but of the mentee. <laughs> I think the this mentee. is not goes without saying. It's the mentee is doing the hard work. work between the session but also the mentor the mentor is doing the hard work of not reacting and not going into troubleshooting mode and not going into command and control mode this is the hard work and it's a hard work Nelson the Admiral Nelson had a very easy job he couldn't communicate with his captains right The father of a young... He, he didn't have Slack. <laughs> he didn't have Slack and WhatsApp. And if no WhatsApp is not going, let's call him. <laughs> and let's, let's try another. He didn't have an option. This is like an artisanal movement of management. We are going back to basics. This is how we are built. A nice quote by, by I think, VP of people in Facebook or training, I'm not sure, is that if you want... Your employee to work like machine, treating them like humans. Our DNA is triggered for those flow triggers. You know, I'm reminded of something that you said in the first episode. And you said, and I quote from my uh, memory, you said, people say, why do you train your employees and then they will leave? Mm -hmm. And you said, so what's the other option? Not training them at all. And I think it connects to what you're saying now. It's about we're putting the effort into growing the garden metaphor and evolving and developing our people so they're happier, they're more content, they're more skilled, they're more professional. Hence, our company has more advantage. Great uh, point. It's bringing me to the last point. Perfect. Okay, to the last point of what you need to do in a mentoring session or in a mentoring as a whole. It's the point of a meaningful life. And this is what you said. We are not talking about developing the mentorship. It's not about developing. It's about me and the mentee. And both of us want to have a meaningful life. I want to bring the taste of meaningful life for my mentee Zingerman's uh, Delicatessen in Ann Harbor. They went to a commencement, a great commencement a speech. Well, NPR chose it for one of the best commencement speech. And, and they have an amazing business. They spoke about joy. And they like offered people to start having joy today. Don't wait. They said, buy a nice car, go abroad, have vacations, sleeping great. places but don't wait to have money 
to start having joy. And they said the shortest way to have joy is to be generous and helping others, and you don't need money for that. And this is both sides of the mentorship are doing it. The mentor needs to help the mentee. And the mentee, you want to show them how to help others. Okay, and you need to show... To pay it forward. To pay it forward, to show them that this is, this is the whole point. We want a company in the valley that everybody is paying it forward to the other people. It's very interesting that you said it at the beginning that the mentorship is not about develop. So it's not like about how you become a better DevOps engineer, right? But it's more about what? What do you talk about if, if not about you know, your specific job and how to become better at it? Okay, so I think it's related. It's, it's, it's related. Let's go back to the hunters-gatherers or gatherers-hunters. And imagine this was a jungle. The jungle is dynamic. But as a whole, over the four seasons of the year, it was quite repetition. The environment as a whole was quite stable. Today, for the information technology person, the jungle is crazy. Every two years is almost a different jungle. It's not enough for you to know today what are the plants, the danger animals, what are the best places to go. Danger technologies. The technology is accelerating. And the danger is the jungle itself. The pace, it's changing. You as a mentor need to prepare this person for the constant change, the constant change. And many times the mentee is more advanced than you in the technology. In many cases, they, are, they know more than you in many subjects, but there are things that the processes, they are the same. The DNA didn't change over thousands of years. We spoke about the content, and right. we will get to the content in a second, and who is bringing the content to the session. But the process is, is stable. Our challenge as mentors is preparing our team for constant change, constant change. That's a very important skill. Another point, so the question is, why is mentorship not that common? Or Yeah, it's common. Everybody's doing coaching and going new age stuff, and everybody has a mentor or a guru and, and things. But I think mentorship as a management style is less common. And Daniel, Daniel uh, Goldman, he wrote, uh, everybody uh, was not familiar with his uh, work and the book, Emotional Intelligence. He speaks about six types of uh, uh, management. One of them is coaching. But when he came to ask the leaders, the managers, if they are using them, the answer was that this is a very slow process. And we don't have time for that. But research showed that this is out of the six, you need to use like four of them. It's not just coaching, okay? But when coaching was used, it's got the best results. There is a Harvard Business Review article. It's called The Leadership That Gets Results by Daniel Goldman. I recommend uh, to read it. 
we tried that. It's not fun. <laughs> okay, let's go back to command and control. Okay, and because it and, takes and a lot of it effort. takes a lot. Yeah, and and it's it's getting back to the previous episode that we spoke about Talmud, the Hebrew Talmud about the long short way. We are building the valley in order to build our people, that they will eventually will build the valley, and it takes time. It brings us back to the return on love. Yeah. And it brings us back because what you're saying is that it's the paying forward, right? And it's about helping others help others and then bring them this entire advantage or bring positive results. Yeah. But what is the process that a mentor should do before they're starting their mentorship in order to avoid this self-absorbed focus, I am the mentor and it's not about you at all. And can everyone become a mentor? So the short answer and the easy answer is take a block of three and a half hours and li- listen to the coaching habit. <laughs> okay? It's a book by Michael Bugani Stainer. Excellent book, three and a half hours, put you in the right seat, literally. The captain is on the left seat. <laughs> okay, you need to be on the right seat and be a listener. And he's speaking about listening and waiting and posing and asking the right questions. Okay, and he actually came with seven questions. I will uh, go over them shortly, but this was the short answer. <laughs> okay. The longer answer is you need to read both the Talent uh, Code by Daniel Coyle. It's an excellent book about uh, uh, clusters of excellence in tennis, music, in many uh, other things. And he's trying to figure out what those clusters of excellence did. And he came uh, upon three major types of things that happened in those places. He's speaking about deep practice, doing very small things again and again and again and again and again. For example, we are doing in Develop the Daniel Pink ABC, Attunity, Buoyancy, Clarity, again and again and again and again. Every conflict we have, everything we're doing, Attunity, Buoyancy, Clarity. Every decision we make, we're using Peter Drucker, who has to know and what we need to do for them to succeed in that. We failed on that million times. So it's deep practice, ignition, it's like purpose. We want to excite someone about it. And the third is Daniel Cole is speaking about coaching and how those coaches did things, many things, and most of them was around flow triggers. So I recommend reading Daniel Cole's Talent Code. He has an excellent book, another one. It's called The the culture code, it's, it's uh, translated to Hebrew as well. And two other books by Stephen Kotler. One of them is, I said it previously, it's The, the Art of Impossible and The Rise of Superman. <laughs> After you read, I think, those four books... You're ready. You need a mentor. <laughs> <laughs> you need a mentor to practice a session. Okay, I went for therapy for a few years. And it's a practice. Every mentor needs a mentor. Yeah, it's a practice, okay? In general, there is a very nice quote from the coaching habit. 
by Jonas Salk, it's what, what people think of as the moment of discovery is really the discovery of the question. Right. And Michael uh, Pongay Steiner in the book is talking about seven different questions. And those questions are technique to hold you at bay, not to go for the troubleshooter, right. the advisor, stay. And I'm using it. I'm failing a lot. <laughs> It's a work in progress. But the first thing is the kickstart question. What is on your mind? You're asking what is on your mind. By the way, Facebook is that when you want to post right. something, what is on your mind, they removed it for a time and they uh, brought it back because this is a great question. What is on your mind? You don't need to be in a room for a session or therapy. You can do it for 60 seconds. You can uh, meet someone in the cafeteria or uh, on a break and ask them what's on your mind. And the second question is the all question. You ask them what else? You try to empty the bucket. And what else? And what else? You're getting for five or six or seven things till the person said, ah, that's it. And you go over what he said and you try to figure out if this is really, if there is something over there that is meaningful and this is really the things that is on his head or on his heart. And if you're not sure about that, There is the miracle question. So it's not really seven questions, it's like seven and a half. There is the miracle question. You tell him, okay, you went to sleep tonight and you woke tomorrow morning and something happened. You're feeling much, much more lighter. There is nothing on your mind, nothing on your heart, nothing is aching you. What happened in the night? What miracle happened? And you will be amazed amazed the number of times that the answer that came over here was not part of the six or seven answer they gave me before that. And this was the real thing that taking those people back and harming their sleep. And then you go for, what do you want? If this is the problem that is on your mind, the biggest problem. This is the, the miracle question. What do you want? And he's coming with, a say, he said, oh, we can do that and we can solve it this way. And you ask, is there another way? Because many times we are very tunnel vision. We have a tunnel vision or, or key lock view of things. And you try to, is there another way we can solve this? And something says, No, I, I, I'm the only one who can do that. Okay, and then what will happen if uh, tomorrow a car will kill you or you will crash or you will be wounded? Or what will happen? Ah, if this will happen, we'll do something else. Okay, so this is another option. What another option? And when he gave a, a few options uh, over that, okay, you, you say, how can I help? How can I help? And this is like the fifth question. And then comes the It's called the lazy question, because yes, how can I help? And then come the strategic question. And this is very nice. The strategic question is not about what the person intends to do 
about the issue. The strategic question is about what he's planning not to do next week in order for him to have time to handle the big problem. The big problem, the miracle he wants to generate to himself. We are conducting a discussion. Till that point, you should not give any advice. You're just listening. You are just asking a few questions. And at the end, if he came to a conclusion, you are asking something it's called the learning question. And you ask, what was the most useful for you in this session? And the reason is not to toot my own horn. The reason is for him to stop for a minute and to let it sink. Store it in the memory. Okay, this, I had a pattern. I thought this is not possible to solve. And yeah, I broke this pattern today. Then we decide, okay, this is the one thing you're preparing for next week. This is what we are focusing for next week. Let's, let's talk about it next week. And we meet again and a week later and we start the same cycle again. Things to be aware of and safeguard from. Michael Steiner call it the cheddar on the mousetrap. <laughs> the mentee asks you, what do you think I should do about it? <laughs> you should postpone your answer. Even if, you, yeah, you know, you know that. Okay, many times. And it's getting back to the place that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. It's a self-proficient prophecy. Shut up. I'm envisioning a mentorship conversation that sounds amazing, containing all these questions. And I'm asking myself, how do you make your mentee trust you? And giving the truthful answer and not answers they think you will be content with. It's a hard thing. We, I can say in develop, uh, we are in many sessions uh, that we feel that even if Omri, uh, Omri and me are not speaking, we are feeling that many times the people in the room are trying to make us consent. And they are thinking what they are thinking. It's a problem. To impress you. Not to impress me, but to I think to to do what we what they think we want and 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 this is a problem and what happens when there isn't a good connection between the mentor mentor and the mentee like in any bad relationships break up <laughs> break up <laughs> break up someone gets <laughs> off the bus as we no 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 not off the bus you need to give in a different mentor it's not off the bus but It's, it's a relationship. If someone is feeling that you are not appreciate him and you don't trust him, he can't be your mentor. It's the same as management or leadership. If you don't love your employee, you can't manage him. So mentorship is a must-have in a culture of empathy? Um, 
Yeah, there is an excellent, uh, maybe we'll put it in uh, the comments. So there is an excellent uh, animation about empathy versus uh, sympathy. Right. Okay. Uh, and yeah, empathy is listening. Empathy is listening. Empathy is uh, trying to walk a mile in another person's shoes, taking, not taking him for granted, but knowing that what he says he's feeling, it is what it is. Don't challenge it. If he's feeling bad, this is the situation. We are connecting in this conversation mentorship, empathy, management, and loneliness. And I admit that loneliness is a part where I didn't see that before. And now I will never be able to unsee it because it matters so much. Loneliness is a pandemic. The U.S. Surgeon General um, mentioned this constantly about how in the modern age people feel more lonely. Yeah. And you said, and I think that's brilliant of connecting these dots and saying mentorship is and stewardship is about seeing the people and provoking empathy and making them feel seen and appreciated. Yeah. And these are the Gallup questions. And my question in this is, how do we not cross boundaries between, you know, professional mentorship under, you know, your work and personal but still you know it could be someone from uh the c-suite or executives in your company that mentor you and how do we not cross boundaries into more personal topics or aren't there any boundaries and this is what it is i'm putting aside all the topic of sexual harassment and things like that that's this, this is not where we are going okay sure but and we spoke about in the, the previous episode, the employee or the mentee or your colleague, you need to look at them nose to tail. They are a whole person. Yeah, as a whole person, they have personal life. If they don't want to share it, sure, it's okay. But if they want to share it and it's relevant, try to help them nose to tail. Uh, you spoke about the loneliness, and there is a series now on Netflix about the blue zones, so areas in the world that uh, there is a cluster of people that lives above the age of 100, but big clusters. There was a very interesting about Singapore. They are promoting and giving uh, subsidies to families to live near their parents. They understand that if the parents are living close to the families, they are getting older and better and, and less dementia, okay? And this is amazing. And, and you need to be part of a community. The workplace could be a community that you know that someone cares about you and cares about you for the long term and not looks at you as a function. Every interaction. Sounds amazing. Let's step into the mentee's shoes for one second. <laughs> and how do we know to choose or if we can choose the right mentor for us? So I think it's getting back to the place that we need a village to raise a child. You need a lot of mentors. Every one of them is different. I can do great mentorship on specific topics, I guess, other people can do great mentorship on other topics. You don't need to give advice. 
you're over there, you are tilting the session to your part of expertise. And this is just by listening. The other person on the other side, the mentee, knows what are your strengths, points, or your believable skills that he can share with you. So you need a lot of mentors. It's, it's not a mentor for life. <laughs> okay. right. It's many mentors for life. We're starting it in develop. I'm doing, um, like doing mentorship for nine or ten people. But we want to start in develop like every six months to swap everybody, to swap mentors on specific uh, dates. And yeah, uh, they will have different perspectives, different perspective, and it will help us to connect the company more. Right. I think connect is the word yeah, yeah. that we can end this conversation yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. Because it really is a culture of empathy. Yeah. I, I, I will put another thing that I, I wanted to say about the goodwill hunting. So we spoke about the goodwill hunting about and, and how the dialogue over there is. It's all about relationship. It's not about the, the content. There is the process, okay, the, the setting of the event, and there is the content, and there is the relationships. Something is happening between two people. And there is an amazing Harvard research. It's the longest research done in the world. They started it somewhere in the World War II. It's called the, the Life Longevity Research. It's already running for 85 years. And they took like two groups of Boston uh, Harvard graduates and a group like 700 and something people and a group of young kids from the one of the poorest uh, suburbs of Boston. And they every year, they questionnaire them. Every year, every year, every year, every year. And uh, on the DCLP, I mentioned it in um, Develop uh, Conscious Leadership Program. It's like the course we are training, we are doing in Develop. Somewhere on the 13th uh, session, I'm asking the class what conscious leadership is all about. Can you boil it down to one sentence or can you boil it down to one word? And, and then I mentioned, I asked uh, ChatGPT and he mentioned stewardship. But before I asked ChatGPT, I showed him a TED uh, video of this uh, research, and they came out that they took, they tried to go to the age 50 of those. They are now 90 above the people that left, and they they tried to go to to see their uh, results at around the age 50 and try to figure out who will live above 80 and they took their medical tests and they took all their uh, everything and they tried to see what influence from all the results and all from the age of 50 what could predict who will live above 80 and they came with one in with one thing that was the most significant to live above the age of 80 which is relationships and a meaningful relationship, and a community, and close friends. You can fight with your wife or husband. It's okay. But you know that in bad times, you have someone that will care for you. And they could have it age 50, 
high cholesterol, bad health, and they still got to 80. And they could be the healthiest, but with bad relationships, and they didn't get to 80. So everything, mentoring, swapping mental every six months is everything we want people not to feel alone in the valley. I, I don't think <laughs> there's anything in the world that tops this. So thank you. Thank you, Shani. Thank you, Daphniel. The CEO of the Valley for this most inspiring conversation. And thank you, Daphniel Magin, our amazing producer and editor. I'm Dr. Shani Horowitz-Rosen. This has been the third episode of Return on Love. And we'll see you next time. Don't be alone. Don't be alone.